A beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps you have heard the expression before, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Even if you haven't heard it, we know we, we, we can identify with it, can't we? We've all been there. Whether it's with our long-term business plans, our vacation plans, or, or even our, our weekly plans. Things happen that force us to adjust our plans or, or sometimes even to cancel them altogether. That's just life. And perhaps partly because of that, because it's such a, a common reality to us, because we know our, our own plans are so vulnerable to failure, we can be tempted to wonder at times if just maybe, just perhaps, God's plan, His plan of redemption, His plan to save His people from their sins is like that. Maybe the gospel doesn't work. We might not say it in so many words, but, but sometimes we think it deep down, don't we? Especially when we're feeling discouraged. It can seem at times like the gospel is making so little impact in our society, in our churches, in our families, perhaps even in our own hearts and lives. And when this kind of discouragement sets in, doubt often follows. Maybe God's plan wasn't or isn't good enough. Well, congregation, that is why it is so good and it's so helpful to consider and to commemorate and yes, even to celebrate the real historical bodily ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is how Luke concludes his gospel in chapter 24, verses 50 to 53, which will be our text for this evening. You see, Luke wrote his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for people struggling with discouragement and doubt about God's plan of redemption. If you look back at at Luke 1, Luke 1 tells us in the very beginning, the first four verses, that he he wrote this gospel, or, or perhaps just dedicated it, to a Gentile named Theophilus. And he wrote it so that Theophilus would know with certainty that the Jesus he had heard about, about the, the Jesus whom he had been instructed about, and whom, like Luke is going to write about, is indeed the Savior promised by God. In other words, Luke wrote his gospel to assure Theophilus and to assure us here this evening that God's plan of redemption, his plan of salvation, cannot and does not fail. It is perfectly fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ as our great high priest. That's what the story of Christ's ascension forcefully and clearly proclaims. It proclaims the gospel's success. And why does it do that? So that we all, each and every one, would look to him and keep looking to him for all our salvation. So that is what we hope to see by God's grace this evening under the theme, The Ascension of our great high priest proclaims the gospel's success. First, we will consider the deliverance it highlights. The deliverance it highlights. Secondly, the comfort it gives. The comfort it gives. And thirdly, the response it generates. The response it generates. So first, the deliverance it highlights. Luke 24, 
congregation, I'm sure you know, centers around the Lord Jesus. It begins with the angel's announcement of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And then in verses 13 to 35, we see Jesus walking with two disciples on the road to Emmaus on the very day he rose from the dead. And in verses 36 through 43, we see him that very evening standing in the midst of the 11 disciples and those who were with them, reassuring them that he was not a ghost. In verses 44 to 49, we see him opening their understanding of the scriptures and commissioning them to be his witnesses. But now here, in verse 50, 40 days after his resurrection, we see him walking, not with his disciples, but in front of them, going ahead of them, leading them out. Look with me at verse 50. It says there, and he led them out as far as to Bethany. You know, it's easy to pass over this first part as just a a little detail. But it's more than that because it highlights for us Christ's accomplishment and application of salvation and redemption. He led them out. These are important words in the context of Luke's gospel. They are triumphant words because you see they they tell us that Christ has done everything necessary to accomplish salvation. You see in Luke 9 Verses 51 through 56, we we read in Luke 9 there that Jesus had steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why? To fulfill his purpose of salvation. And what did that involve? That involved, according to Christ himself in Luke 18, 31 to 33, it involved the accomplishment of all things that were written in the prophets concerning the Son of Man. It involved his being delivered unto the Gentiles, his being mocked, his being spitefully entreated, his being spit upon, his being scourged, and his being put to death. And it also involved his resurrection. That was what he must do. That was what he went to Jerusalem to do. He went there in order to do these things, in order, you see, to save lost and dead sinners. He went into Jerusalem to accomplish salvation by himself. And now this same Jesus in our text, we read, leads his people, his disciples out. Do you see what that's saying, congregation? It's saying it's finished. It is finished. He has accomplished it all. Even the place of his ascension highlights this. The Lord leads his disciples to Bethany. Bethany you remember it was a special place in Jesus' ministry. It was a small town, just a couple miles from Jerusalem, tucked in the shadow of, of Mount, the Mount of Olives. But why does he, he stop there? Why does he lead them there? Well, Luke mentions uh, the, the, the place of Bethany by name only one other time. At Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, just before his suffering and death. It was from Bethany that he rode into Jerusalem to accomplish salvation. And now it is back to Bethany that he leads his people. Do you see what this means? It means that all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man were accomplished. He was delivered to the Gentiles. He was mocked. He was spitefully entreated. He was spit upon. They did scourge him. They did put him to death. And the third day, he did 
rise again. Christ finished the work his Father had given him to do here on earth. And he has done then everything necessary. Everything necessary in order to save wretched, lost, dead sinners like you and me. He offered himself up for sinners as the great high priest. And he conquered sin and death. That is the deliverance he has accomplished. He led them out as far as to Bethany. What a triumphant statement this is. And what an encouraging statement, is it not? Christ has really done it all. He has done everything necessary. He has paid it all. His work is really all sufficient. Jesus leading his disciples out of Jerusalem as far as to Bethany is telling us, congregation, is telling you that there is nothing more to be done. He by himself has done everything necessary for your and my deliverance. But perhaps you say, how do I know I can receive this salvation, this deliverance? Well, the text highlights not only his accomplishment of deliverance, but also his application of that deliverance. Look again. Look again at that road to Bethany. There is Jesus, yes, leading, but he is not alone, is he? Who is behind him? It's his disciples, his people. They are following after him. The Lord has accomplished salvation by himself, but he does not keep that salvation to himself. No, he gives it. He shares it. He applies it. He leads his people out. Just like you remember, children, back in in Moses' day, that God, by the hand of Moses, led Israel out of Egypt, out of their slavery and bondage and misery. Well, do you see with me how this proclaims the gospel's success? Think of who these disciples were at this time. They were not super Christians. They were ordinary people. They were sinners like you and like me. They selfishly argued about which one of them was the greatest. They fell asleep in the garden after Jesus had told them to pray. They left Jesus to suffer alone when he was arrested. One of them, Peter, even denied Jesus three times. They were slow to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. They were slow of heart to understand and believe the scriptures. But beloved, and so beloved, these people, these disciples were unworthy, undeserving sinners. But that didn't stop Jesus from leading them out. That didn't stop Jesus from applying his salvation to them. And so I ask you tonight, why would it be any different for you? The ascension of our great high priest highlights the deliverance Christ has accomplished and applied. Oh, what an encouragement this is. You see, it proclaims to us that Christ is the Savior of sinners. It proclaims the gospel's success so that the gospel this evening might be proclaimed to you and to me. So that you here today might know that there is a Savior. There is a high priest who has offered himself up in the place of sinners. Who has done everything, everything that God has required. And who is able, who is able to save to the uttermost all who come to God by him. Unworthy as they are in themselves. But still it's easy to lose sight of this great deliverance. 
in the midst of life here below, isn't it? You see, we live, don't we? We live in the, the in-between. We live between the already of Christ's first coming and, and, and the not yet of Christ's second coming. And so maybe you are here tonight and you are wondering, how does Christ's ascension help me, help us in the midst of the challenges that we are facing in our own lives and as a church? Well, this brings us to our second point, the comfort he gives. Look with me at the middle of verse 50. It says there, and he lifted up, Jesus Christ lifted up his hand and blessed them. And then verse 51, And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Think about this, dear congregation. The last thing the disciples ever saw Jesus do was him raising his hands in blessing over them. What a comfort. What a comfort that was to them. And what a comfort it is to us this evening. You see, there are really two comforts we can see in the text. First, there is the comfort of, it, of Christ's priestly blessing. The text says he lifted up his hands and blessed them. That was a priestly activity. The priest, the high priest would, or the, uh, one of the sons of Aaron, as the high priest was commanded to, after the sacrifice, to come out and, and to bless the people. And so the text, the, the text says that Jesus Christ then, as the high priest, lifted up his hands and blessed them. And they were his hands. Can you, can you imagine that? Could there be any, any more comforting sight? With those hands, Jesus had touched and healed the sick and the unclean lepers. With those hands, he had touched a coffin and raised a widow's son to life. With those hands, he had taken Jairus' dead daughter and raised her to life. With those hands, he had blessed little children. With those hands, he had broken a few loaves which multiplied and fed thousands of people. With those hands, he made a, a straight a woman who had been bent over for 18 years. With those hands, he had healed the ear of the high priest's servant. And yes, with those hands, nailed to the cross, he offered himself as our high priest, as the perfect sacrifice, and he was made a curse for us. And with those hands, he calmed and reassured his terrified disciples that he really was risen from the dead. And now Jesus, Jesus as the curse reverser, as the great high priest, lifts those very same hands up and blesses his people. What power, what authority, what love, and what mercy were in those hands in his uplifted hands of blessing. Can you not rest under those hands, dear congregations of Monarch and Picture Butte? But does he have the right, does he have the authority to give this blessing? Well, yes, 
Yes, you see, because he purchased it. And oh, how much it cost him. What agony he had to go through. It cost him his sweat like great drops of blood. It cost him his honor as he was slandered and struck and mocked and spit upon and falsely condemned and crucified as a criminal. It cost him, congregation, it cost Jesus the experience and the enjoyment of the Father's love, his own Father's love, as he hung upon the cross in total darkness. Yes, it ultimately cost him his life. But it's because he did that, because he paid that cost, that he has the right and the authority to bless his people. You see, his hands, his hands can pour out his blessing because they first poured out his blood. Or do you see the horribleness, the horribleness of your sin in that? And do you see the beauty, the beauty of the Savior? Yes, do you know the comfort? Do you know the comfort, each and every one of you, of belonging to him as your faithful Savior, as your great high priest? Do you know the comfort of being under his blessing hands by faith? But maybe you wonder, is Christ, is Christ as the great high priest, is he still blessing? Is he still blessing his people today? Yes, he is. Because verse 51 says that Christ was carried up into heaven while he blessed them. The Greek text makes clear that Jesus continued to bless his disciples all the time he was being carried up. In congregation, Christ has never, ever stopped blessing his people, his church, even in the darkest hours. His blessings never fail. They keep on coming. I once heard a visiting preacher preach on the text from John 1, verse 16, where it says these beautiful words, Of Christ's fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. You could translate it grace upon grace. And the preacher used an illustration that has never left me. You see, he compared this grace upon grace to, to, to these long freight trains. You have long freight. When we were driving to church this evening, the freight trains, like, they, they just go on forever, it seems like. They're, they're very, very long. And so he compared this grace upon grace to these long freight trains. And, and he said it, it's as if God, he keeps bringing the, his grace upon grace. It's like train car after train car after train car after train car after train car of grace, of blessing into his people's lives, pouring his blessings out, dumping his blessings out like an endless freight train. Years later, I saw this preacher again, and in the, in the interval between, I had, I had told him how much this illustration had, had meant to me. And when he saw me again, he asked this question. He said, is the train still running? Is the train still running? Yes, it was. It was still running. At times in my life, I couldn't see it, but he was still blessing me. And his train of blessing congregation is still running now. It will always be running. How can I know that? How can you know that? Because the Lord Jesus Christ ascended while blessing his people. And he is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. Well, may I not ask you then tonight, is the train still running in your life, personally? It can be easy. I know it can be easy to lose sight of it when life is hard, when God brings adversity into your life. But does he not, I ask you, does he not continually bless you with spiritual blessings over and over and over again? Does he not bless you with his forgiveness, with his strength, with his presence, with his faithfulness? Does he not bless you with his love, with his gentleness, and with his long-suffering? But what about as a church? Being without a full-time pastor here on the ground is not easy. When I left the Free Reformed Church in Mitchell to go to Grand Rapids to study at seminary, that church had been without a pastor for five years. During the course of its 68-year history, it has been vacant for just over half of that, 35 years. And it was tempting. It was tempting to become discouraged at times, to wonder if God really cared for us as a church. But I remember at one point that one of the elders, a dear godly brother in the Lord, he decided to do a, a bit of a a makeover in the consistory room. He, we had some pictures of, our, of the pastors that had served in the past, but he decided to change it up and update it a bit. And, and so he hung these, these pictures up. I, I, know, I see you have some pictures like that in the foyer over here. And the first time I walked into the consistory room after he had hung up those pictures, my attention was drawn to the very last picture. They were all in a row. It had no face a stark reminder that we had no pastor. It was simply a picture of the outside of the church. But what was so moving and comforting to me was these words that the elder had printed over the picture from 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Yes, he is faithful. He is faithful to build his church, and he is faithful to bless it. May that be a comfort also to you. But how can I be sure, someone says, when I'm suffering so much, when the church seems to be suffering so much, that, that I, that we, are under God's blessing and not under his curse and condemnation? Well, the ascension of our high priest not only reveals the comfort of his priestly blessing, it also reveals the comfort of the Father's approval. It proclaims the Father's acceptance, you see, and approval of his Son. Verse 51 says that, it, And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Where did Jesus go? He went into heaven. And, and that's what it says. And, and children, who is in heaven? Well, God the Father isn't, isn't he? Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. And so what the text is saying that here is then that the Father has accepted and that he has approved his Son while Christ, while his Son was blessing his people. 
God the Father welcomed a blessing Savior into heaven. He put his stamp of approval, as it were, on his sons blessing his church. And that means, congregation, the blessing is sure. That means the blessing is guaranteed. Yes, it means even that we don't just have Christ's blessing. We have the blessing of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so even in suffering, Yes, even in a time of chastening, God's people may know that they are no longer under God's curse and condemnation. They are under the blessing of God. Oh, what sweet peace and joy that gives in the midst of trial. Well, congregation, there is great comfort in Christ's ascension into heaven. Do you know this comfort? Or could it be you are, you are looking for, for comfort, you are looking for blessings elsewhere? Could, you, could it be you are looking for comfort in, in, in the things, in perhaps even in things that are forbidden? A congregation, true, continual, everlasting blessings comes only through the hands of the blessing Savior. And what a comfort that is. What a comfort that is to those who have learned to say with Horatius Bonner, Bonar, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my hands, but what his hands. What reason then isn't there to look to him and to keep looking to him for all your salvation? Well, the ascension of our great high priest proclaims the gospel's success not only by the deliverance it highlights and the comfort it gives. But lastly, also by the response it generates. The response it generates. What did the disciples do after Jesus ascended? Look at verses 52 and 53. And they, that is the disciples, worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. This response, congregation, demonstrates for sure and absolutely the success of the gospel, the success of God's plan of redemption. Because in the first place, we see here the disciples humbly worshiping the ascended Christ. That means they recognized him as God, and they honored him as God. They worshiped him. They bowed down to him. That demonstrates, <clears throat> that demonstrates the success of the gospel. You see, by nature, we don't want to worship Jesus. By nature, we don't want to worship God. We want to worship our idols. We want to worship ourselves. And the disciples were no different. Whom do you think they were worshiping when they were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I don't think they were worshiping Jesus Christ at that moment. They were worshiping themselves, their egos, their pride. But Christ's ascension turned all this around. Now they worship the ascended Lord Jesus. And beloved, this change, this turnaround keeps happening today. People are being turned from worshiping idols to worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us give thanks for that. And let us be humbly thankful when we see that fruit in our own life. Because that's the fruit of his ascension. And of his pouring out his spirit after his ascension. 
But the disciples did not only worship the ascended Christ as God, they also joyfully obeyed him. They joyfully obeyed him as their king and as their Lord. And Jesus had told them in verse 49 to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. And now here in the middle of verse 52, it says that the disciples returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They obeyed him, and they obeyed him joyfully. And again, congregation, this demonstrates the gospel's success because apart from knowing and believing in Jesus Christ, we don't want to obey God. The commandments of God are like great burdens to us. But when God saves us by his grace, through faith in his Son, then his commandments are no longer a burden, but they become a delight. Yes, we still have to struggle. We still have our sinful flesh to wrestle with. But in the new man, that God has, the new heart that God has given us, we delight to keep God's commandments. He makes us, you see, want to obey him, to, 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 to serve him out of thankfulness to him. And he makes us sorry when we disobey Lifelong, joyful obedience is the fruit of his saving work. But how could they have such great joy when their Savior had left them? Maybe you struggle with that sometimes. Sometimes it seems like God is so distant. Well, because they knew he loved them. They knew he had delivered them. They knew he was blessing them and that he would be faithful to them. He would give them the Holy Spirit as he had promised to equip and to empower them to be his witnesses so that they would not return, they would not stay in Jerusalem forever, but in obedience to his commission would go out into all the world and preach the gospel. You see, they knew the gospel. They knew by faith that the gospel would be successful. God's plan would not fail. And so they obeyed. So they obeyed with great joy. Well, verse 53 tells us the last response the ascension of Christ generated. Unceasing praise. They were, it says, continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Isn't that such an appropriate ending to a gospel that began in the temple? Do you remember that congregation? Do you remember how Luke began? We, we looked at how he wrote to Theophilus, but, but what happened after that? Do you remember an angel came to who? To Zacharias, right? And where was Zacharias? He was in the temple. He was offering up incense. That was his turn. And the angel came and he announced that he and his wife would have a son who would do what? Who would herald the Savior's coming. Zacharias, of course, you remember, didn't believe at first. And so he was mute. He was, he was unable to speak until the day came when, when it, his child was born and, and they took him to be circumcised and they asked, well, what will be his name, Zacharias? And he wrote his name in accordance with the words of the angel his name shall be called John and then what happened his mouth was opened and he praised God and now at the end of this gospel after 24 chapters of describing of Luke's describing how the Savior did come and how he accomplished everything in fulfillment of God's gospel plan and how now that he has ascended 
carried up into heaven. What other response could there be than blessing, unceasing blessing and praising God in the very place, in the very place where the coming of the Savior was first announced? And I can't help but think here too that Luke described the disciples praising and blessing God in, this, in anticipation. In anticipation of that day in the new heavens and earth when all God's people as one great multitude will be continually in the, in the presence of God and of the Lamb who will be the temple praising and blessing Him for His great salvation. Isn't that the ultimate response His great salvation work generates? You see, that is where God's plan is headed. It's headed to that great day when God will have all his people with him in glory to praise and to serve and to worship him forever. Oh, what a day that will be. But it begins here, doesn't it? Even in a hostile world, even in a world that is so full of suffering, so full of death. We, we heard about that this week so full of, of lawlessness, of, of brutal killing of people. Yes, even in a world that is doomed to, to destruction, even here, congregation, where you are, the praise of God begins. Because you see, the ascension of Christ proclaims the success of the gospel, a gospel that saves sinners living in the midst of this cruel, broken, sinful fallen worlds. The unceasing praising and blessing of God in this world is a response generated, generated by the ascension of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. To him, to him then belongs all the glory. Well, congregation, do you see that with me? Do you see how, how Christ's ascension, as Luke describes it for us in his text, proclaims the gospel's success? What greater confirmation of the gospel can there be than Christ's ascension? Isn't that why Luke ended his gospel with that beautiful word, Amen? He wasn't saying he was all done. He, wasn't, he, he was saying, rather, it's all true. The gospel does work. It is for real. It is for certain. God's plan has not failed. Because, you see, it is the best laid plan there can ever be. It is God's plan, not the plan of men. So look to him. All you ends of the earth for salvation. Yes, look to him. You who live in Monarch and Picture Butte and in all of southern Alberta, look to him for your salvation. Yes, look to him. You who may be an unbeliever here this evening, look to him for your salvation and keep looking to him, dear people of God. Keep looking to this great high priest all your life long. Will you? Are you? Well, then should we not put our own amen to God's yes in Christ Jesus? Will you do so now with me? Amen.